And if you've got your Bibles, take them and turn with me to the book of Matthew. Right there, we've been in Matthew a little bit over the last few weeks looking at the genealogy of Jesus. We're actually going to go to Matthew chapter 6. And uh, I'm going to give you just a small preview of a sermon series that's coming later in the year, in 2020. It's not 2020 yet. We're really, really close. It's not there yet, but we'll be there this week. Um, And in the summer, this summer, we're going to walk through in the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, one of the uh, most pivotal moments in the ministry of Jesus And so what we're looking at today finds itself right in the middle of that. And we're going to talk for a moment about something that's very important to us moving forward. It is the Sunday before the new year. It's our last Sunday gathering of 2019. But even more than that, it's the last uh, gathering of our church in this decade, right? It's a new decade, 2020. Starts, I don't know what they're going to call it. It was the Roaring Twenties in the 1900s. I don't know what it'll be. I don't know if flappers are coming back or any of that, but I don't know what it'll be. But 20s is here. Um, I've seen that it's the year of hindsight, right? Y'all know that? Hindsight is always... There you go, all right? Um, that's a preacher joke for you, okay? So we've seen that. Um, and I don't know what the year holds, but I was just thinking about the fact that 10 years... That we've been kind of together. I've been with you over 10 years, but I was here for the entire decade. I started um, the years of this decade back in 2010 with a sermon about my life verse, Isaiah 26, 8, called 268 in 2010. Uh, and we're moving into a new one. And I just thought this week about how much changes in 10 years. There's a lot that has changed in my life in 10 years. 10 years ago, I was the father of two. Two boys. Now, four days into the new decade, I got a brand new girl, which means my girl turns double digits this week. It's hard for me to think of that. I think about our church. Ten years ago, this is not what this sanctuary looked like. We've remodeled the sanctuary. We've remodeled the children's area. We've paid off the banknote for those remodelings in ten years. Amen? We've been involved as a church in multiple mission trips Multiple mission trips to Los Angeles, California. Multiple mission trips to Denver, Colorado. We've sent nine teams to Brazil to be a part of missions. We have made I don't know how many trips to Lynch, Kentucky to take furniture and items and support and do ministry with Club 180 in that part of the world. We have sent literally hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions all around the world. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Seen thousands of people come to Christ through ministries that we get to be a part of. People change in a church. I I thought this would be interesting, all right? So uh, I want to see, first of all, I just want you to raise your hand if you've been here the whole decade. So you were here in 2010 when we started, and you've been here the whole decade, all right? Now, how many of you have come either back, so maybe some of you, we know we have some that were here and came back, or for the first time have come within the last decade? Isn't that awesome? It's about half and half. There's a lot that changes in 10 years, right? And I thought about, okay, so what about the next 10 years? In my life, I'm at that place when you're looking towards the next 10 years and you realize that in the next 10 years, there's even more changes coming. Personally, there'll be changes. Maybe for you the last 10 years there have been changes in your family situation. Maybe you have added members to your family through birth or through marriage. 
Maybe you've added members of your family through adoption or looking towards the Lord doing that soon. Maybe you've lost important members of your family. And I think about the last 10 years, I think about career, right? I've been in the same place, but the job and the church and all that's happened here has changed over 10 years. Maybe you've made a transition in careers. Maybe you've gone to new jobs. Maybe you've had multiple jobs. Maybe you've retired from the workforce. Maybe you've entered the workforce. Maybe you've gone back to school. Maybe you're getting out of school. Maybe school's been the whole decade for you. You're on the 10-year college plan, right? 10 years, there's a lot that can happen in 10 years. So I wonder what will be different in the years ahead. As I thought through that, I just asked personally for myself, how have I grown spiritually in the last 10 years? What is the spiritual direction of my life? What areas of my life have I seen God move? Here's the thing that will be interesting to understand and to think about. It's hard to see change Day after day, it's easier to look at 10 years and see change, I think. You think about where you were in 2010 and where you are today. What has been the most significant spiritual change in your life? For some of you, you came to know the Lord as your Savior. You've been baptized. For some of you, it's been a recommitment to the Lord in a way that maybe from you were a young person, you went to church and then they kind of faded away and then you've come back to the Lord and you're serving him faithfully. For some of you, this has not been the best decade spiritually. You've wandered. Even now, if I were to ask you and you were honest, you would say, I'm not near where I was then. As I think through that, and I think, you know, that we're going to have all these resolutions, and we're going to have all this, I don't know if you've seen all the retrospectives of the best movies of the last ten years, and the best news stories, and the most significant things. And as we think through that, I began to think of, instead of looking backwards, what would it be to look forward to a couple of things that could make major impacts on my life spiritually in the years ahead? Matthew chapter 6 gives us some of those answers. Today we're specifically going to talk about a couple of areas that are important for us. And if you ask, if I went out there and ask you, hey, is this an important part? You would say, absolutely. Christians need to be doing that. If I'm going to follow Christ, I need to do that. But for many, and maybe even all of us, these are areas of our lives where we struggle with our Christian walk. And so my goal today is not to radically transform how everything happens in your life starting today. My goal is to help you begin the process of seeing your life, is to help me begin the process of seeing my life become more consistent in this area because change happens not radically different. It happens one moment at a time. Over the Thanksgiving holidays, I sat down and talked to my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law is a pastor down in Mississippi. And um, when we get together, a lot of times we talk church, but sometimes we just talk life. And he was talking about 
the formation of habits. And um, my, my brother-in-law, David, is a guy, and many of, you, many of you have not met David. You've met my father-in-law, Phil, but uh, Dr. Jett, but not David. David is one of, when I look at his life, I think of him as one of the most consistent guys that I know of walking with the Lord on a daily basis. He has a deep relationship with the Lord. And so we were having this conversation, and I was kind of, um, we were we were staying, we were eating breakfast. It was just the two of us. And I said, man, how do you keep that consistent? And he said, well, I'll tell you the truth. I had fallen away from that. And he said, I realized that what I would often do, and maybe this is you, this is New Year's resolutions, is that I would say, man, I've fallen away in that. I am going to jump back in full force and I would make things that were unattainable and that I could not sustain. And as a result, they would fade away again. You will see that come this week because some of us in this room know that physical well-being is something we need to focus a little more attention on. And some of us will go to the gym on January the 1st and we will do a 45-minute high-intensity workout and we can't get out of bed the next morning. We say, I'm done with that. Right? Or we'll last for a couple of weeks instead of a consistent walk. What I want to talk to you today about are two elements of your life that if you will do consistently, not overload, not try to do it all at once, but consistently over the next two weeks, two months, two years, decade, will make a radical difference in your relationship with the Lord and your spiritual life. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5, says this. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles and say, imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, here's the thing. There is too much here for us to be able to break down in the next hour and a half. Amen? It's too hot to be here for an hour and a half, all right? But I want to ask a couple of questions today, and I want us to move towards a path of you doing something with your life that will impact the next decade. The two questions I want to ask are simply this. For each element, prayer and fasting, why do we pray? How do we pray? Why do we fast? How do we fast? That's as much as we're going to cover today. And the first thing that I want you to see is that prayer is expressed here as something we do and there are reasons behind it. And the first reason we pray is because we in prayer express the depth of our need for God. 
In Matthew chapter 6, it's known as the Lord's Prayer. In fact, the version I read out of is the Christian Standard Bible. It's a little different than the King James English. And some of you are so conditioned to recite the King James that when I started reading, like, wait a minute, that's not what it says. I played football my senior year of high school. And on that football team, before every game, we would gather in a circle as we had come running onto the field. We would put our hands in and we would all recite the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, we, we did the Catholic version because that's what everybody kind of knew, right? And so people that were unbelievers, non-believers, sort of believers, little bit of believers, really believers. People that were all facets of that understood it and knew it. And what I'm afraid is that the words have become so familiar to us that they no longer carry the weight that they should. Jesus isn't saying, here was a magic incantation formula that you can say and your prayer life is done. The principles behind it, however, are powerful for us. And the first thing we see in the Lord's Prayer is that it is filled with requests from God. Look at the words. Give us, verse 11... Forgive us, verse 12. Lead us. Deliver us, verse 13. The attitude of our hearts when we come into prayer is clear. We need God. That's why we pray. It's an expression of our need of Him. We pray because we are desperate. We need Him. We just don't need Him when we're in a desperate situation. We don't just need Him when things are not good on the outside. We don't just need Him when we feel bad. We need Him every moment of every day. And we turn to the Lord and say, We are in desperate need of You. I cannot be this year, this week, this decade, today, the husband that God has called me to be to my wife without God. I cannot be the man, the witness, the pastor, the father, the citizen of Goodlettsville, Tennessee. I cannot be any of those things that God intends for me to me without God's help. I am desperate for Him. And we go to the Lord. We don't come in any kind of pride. We don't come in kind of any kind of, of state of saying we deserve anything. We come to Him in complete humility, desperate for His help. We pray because we need God. In fact, one writer says that prayer is the most central clear, critical expression on a daily basis that we need God. I'm going to tell you, in 2020, if you're going to make it, if you're going to do what God calls you to do, you need the Lord. You need His strength. You need His grace. You need His wisdom. You need His sustaining power. You need His peace. You need His joy. You need His provision. You need it every day. Every hour I need Thee. So think about this for a minute. Because if you do a poll of Christian people, people that claim to be followers of God out there, and you ask them how much is their prayer life, you'll find out that prayerlessness is an epidemic in American Christianity. And if we pray to express that we are desperate in need of God, then our prayerlessness says that we don't. And that we are proud of who we are, If we're not a praying people, that means that without question that we are saying that we can handle it on our own. We're convinced that we're good enough. And that simply is not true. 
And I know, I'm not trying to guilt anybody, I know that in a room this size with this many people, like there is a high percentage of you that struggle with prayerlessness or lack of prayer or not doing what God has called us to do in this area. And part of that needs to be that we need to be reminded again of how desperately we need Him. The second reason we pray. We pray to explore the mystery of intimacy with God. If you look through this prayer, there are asking for things. There's daily bread and forgiveness. And there's, there's, you know, you can look through scripture and see leadership and deliverance and all those things that he tells us to pray for. But our greatest need is actually not the things that we're praying for. Our greatest need, our greatest emphasis in prayer is that we need the relationship that comes from prayer with the Father. Here's what scripture tells us. God knows what we're going to say before we say it. Amen? So when you pray to the Father, He's not up there going, Wow, that's really awesome. I hadn't thought of that before. Wow, thanks for making me aware of that situation in your life. I I can't believe that this is the first time that I have thought what you just said. Like He knows it. Scripture says He knows that's going to come off our tongues before it's on our tongues. He knows the thoughts that we're going to think before we think them. So when you think about the fact that God knew what you were going to think, God knew you were going to think about the fact that God knew what you were going to think. It's like getting in one of those rooms with the mirrors facing each other, right? You can go down that real quickly. So when we come to the Lord, we are not informing Him of needs that we have. And we know that sometimes God, those of you that are experienced believers that have walked with the Lord, sometimes you come to the Lord and you have a real need and you bring it to Him or something you think is a need and you bring it to Him. And sometimes the answer is absolutely, you're right. Here's the answer to that. Sometimes it is no, like that's not what you need. Or sometimes it's wait. Like God always answers. It just ain't the answer we want. And in those moments, sometimes we're asking, so what's the point? If God knows what the answer is, if God knows what we are going to ask, if we know all of that in the process, what's the point of prayer? I mean, even in this passage, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 7 and 8, when you pray, do not heap empty phrases, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And so the primary point of prayer is not to get something, but it is to know someone. It is to have fellowship with the Lord. The most important thing for you in the next decade and the next year is not your family. It's not your husband, your wife, your kids. It's not your job. It's not your finances. It's not your health. It's nothing that you can think of outside of your personal relationship with God. Because that impacts everything else. And prayer is that conduit of conversation that makes that relationship go deeper. And here's the third reason we pray, and this is the last reason. We pray to experience the power of being used by God. Your kingdom come, your will be done. The way that Jesus prays that, the way that Jesus says that, has the understanding within it that when you're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's not a distant, hey, out there where the world is really fighting, the spiritual warfare is going on, and you are working hard. Hey, God, let your kingdom come out there. 
That what is actually being prayed there is, Lord, use me in whatever way you see fit to make your kingdom a reality on this earth. Let me be a part of what's happening. God wants to use you to be a part of his story. To take the gospel to the nations, to impact people's lives for eternity. He wants to use you. He wants to use your story. He wants to use your life. He wants to use your family. To put it another way, you have the opportunity to be a part of what he is doing. You get to be a part of the greatest story ever told. A couple of years ago now... um, our family went to um, this place in Orlando, Florida called Disney World. Have you ever heard of that? I don't know if you've ever heard of that or know anybody that's been there. Um, we went, but my favorite experience of that whole time we were there, we went, to, we went to all four parks. In fact, we went to five parks in five days. It was either Universal one day. And so we, like, we got it all in um, and uh, came home and rested for three weeks after that for vacation. Um, But one of the things that my favorite thing that we did there was um, something that happened in the shopping area of Disney. If you've been down there, they call it Disney Springs. They have this VR thing that you can do. And you put on the VR goggles and the headphones and you have a pack on your back and they give you a blaster-like thing. And you walk through and you enter into. The one that we particularly entered into was this thing called Star Wars. I don't know if you've heard of that either. Um, And we were virtual reality in the story. We were firing at stormtroopers. We were, had, there were uh, lightsaber battles happening. There was a moment when we had to get something done, and I literally, it was me and Eli and Luke that were doing it, and we couldn't figure out this thing on the board, and somebody tried to shoot into the room we were in in this virtual reality world, and I yelled at the voice, Boys, cover me! i got to get this done! Like, it felt like you're in it, Right? And there was this cool factor of that I get to be a part of this awesome world. And yet in reality, not virtual reality, in reality, God has given you the opportunity to be a part of the greatest story that has ever been told. You get to play a role in that. And when you go to the Father, you're praying, God, I want to be a part of that. God, thank you for letting me be a part. And so you go to the Father to say, I am in desperate need, Lord. I am in need of you. I can't make it through life without you. Lord, you are an unbelievable God who does things for me I can never imagine. And so thank you, Lord. I can't make it without you. Lord, I come to you today. Because I want that intimate relationship with you. It's the most important part of my life. And when we are in this place, Lord, I want you to give me the reason and the strength and the purpose and the plan to impact the world for your glory. I want you to notice real quickly, the Lord is, he wants to give us good things. He wants to provide for us. But I want you to notice that none of those three purposes have anything to do with getting what I want. You see that? And I just want to think about my prayer life. I want you to think about your prayer life. How much of your prayer life is focused on getting what you want or somebody else wants or you think needs to happen instead of, Lord, I want a relationship with you. Lord, I am in desperate need of you. Use me for the glory of your kingdom. He wants to use you all day long 
Not just for unreached people groups around the world. He wants to use you with your co-workers and your family members and your neighbors. And so how do we do it? According to Matthew chapter 6, how do we do it? How do we come into a place and pray somebody like, Pastor, that'd be great. I'd love to do that. How do we do it? Give you an acronym. You know what an acronym is? Acrostic? What is it? Whatever it is. Give you a letter on the front end. It'll spell something for you. The first thing is you come to the Lord always with praise. Worship God for who He is. He starts by saying, our Father who art in heaven. Prayer fixes our eyes, our heart, our attention, our affections on God. It's not to get something. It is to know someone. So don't start with, hey, Lord, glad we're here. Let me give you my list. God is honored by us asking for things. But first, we have to come into an understanding of who it is we are speaking to and saying, God, I praise you for this. I thank you for this. You express the glory of who he is. Let me give you a real practical way to go about this. One of the things that I did when I was in college that I still do to this day on a semi-regular basis, I try to alternate, but one of the things that I do is I will just take the Psalms. You can start with Psalm 1, or you can start anywhere in the Psalms, and I will read a couple of Psalms. Psalms are not very long. They're fun to read because they have that lyrical tone. They praise to the Lord. And I read two or three Psalms, and then I pick out one attribute of God in that Psalm, or those Psalms. Deliverer. Fortress. Mighty God. King. And then that day in prayer, I spend time praising God for that attribute. Because sometimes it comes to me, and maybe this isn't you, but sometimes for me it feels like I'm repeating the same thing. And God loves to hear the praise from his people, and God's not up there going, you said that yesterday, don't say that again. But for me, the variety helps. And it gets me in Scripture. Our praise ought to be informed by Scripture. Whatever your reading plan is for that day. Maybe you're not doing the Psalms. Whatever your reading plan is for that day. Look at it and say, hey, what, what is it that I see in God in this attribute? And then praise Him for it. We always come with praise. The second thing that we do is we repent. We confess to the Lord our shortcomings. We acknowledge our needs before Him. We acknowledge our sins before Him. Matthew six twelve in this it says, Forgive us our debts, our sins, our trespasses. We say to God, I need your grace. We pause for just a moment, asking him to show us the things in our lives that are not pleasing to him. Psalm one thirty nine, twenty three and twenty four says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Come to the Lord and say, Lord, show me things. Show me things I don't know of. Most of us have a pretty good list of things we already know of. And just ask Him to forgive you and ask Him to give you the strength not to fall into that sin trap again, not to fall into that attitude, that action again. We praise Him. We repent. And then thirdly, we ask. You intercede for specific needs in your life and in other people's. Don't miss this part of prayer, asking for specific needs. It's not the point, it's not the entire point of prayer, but this is definitely a part of what it is. Make a list so that you know some things that people need to be prayed for about, but also be willing just spontaneously as God gives you things to pray for them. 
You know He wants to hear. You know He wants to answer. And He will answer when you pray. But list them out. Say things. Think, I'm going to make sure I pray for that. But also, if just things come to mind. He models this by saying, give us our daily bread. I need you for everything today. I need this today. So we ask Him for things. And then the last one, which sometimes we rush right past, is yield to Him. You see, it spells out pray, which makes it easy to remember. You yield and surrender. Lead me not into temptation, Lord. Help me to be where you want me to be. Help me to be the places you want me to be. Help me to do the things that you want me to be. Help me to be in the situations. Help me to avoid situations that are cause me to sin, that are lead me down a path where temptation is there. Lord, help me to do the things that you've called me to do. You've prayed your kingdom come, your will be done. You say, Lord, help me in this phase to come to a place where I can be used by you. Let me just say real quickly before we move to the next one, and we're going to do that quickly. This is like working out at a gym. Don't decide after you leave today, you know what, my prayer life's really not good. I'm going to pray for an hour and a half every day. I haven't prayed in five years, but every day I'm going to pray for an hour and a half. Because here's what I'm going to tell you, it ain't going to happen. But I'm going to be consistent with five minutes every day. I'm being consistent with 10 minutes every day. I'm going to set it aside and I'm going to do it. Secondly, the one that we don't talk about as much, Jesus says to them, when you pray, and he gives them this long list, and that's a very well uh, read passage of Scripture. It's a preached passage of Scripture. People are like, yeah, I agree with that. And then he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, when you fast. That's almost sacrilegious in a Baptist church known for potlucks to talk about fasting. But it's there. My guess is there are some of you in this room, maybe many of you in this room, have never fasted at all. And what's crazy about that is Jesus just assumes it will be part of our lives. It was a part of the Jewish life. It was a part of the religious life. And he was fasting in a society, in a place where they had need. What is crazy is that fasting has fallen out of favor in so many American Christian cultures in a place where we have excess. Just like he says, when you give or when you pray, he says, when you fast. So why does he emphasize fasting? What is there? We fast because we want to express our delight in God's goodness. Psalm 63, 1 says, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My soul thirsts for you more than water and is satisfied in you. My soul is satisfied in you more than the richest food I can imagine. The psalmist, what he basically says is for you, imagine your favorite food. That thing that if it's put before you, you salivate at the thought of it. That that is the thing that I love. What you do in that moment is you say to the Lord as Psalm 63, God, you are better than anything I could imagine. Zechariah 8.19 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Fasting, he says, will be like a feast, because in doing so you will discover intimacy with me. Fasting is feasting. It's not starving. Because we are getting something better than we could eat. We also fast to confess our need for God's grace. This is similar to what we talked about in prayer. It acknowledges that we are desperate for God. 
Often in the Old Testament, places like Joel 1 and 2, we see fasting associated with confession and repentance. We're going to fast and mourn. We're going to fast and pray. There's going to be fasting and seeking the Lord. It's saying that the deepest desire of our soul is not just to eat, but to be fed by the Father. We think about Jesus when he wants to turn the stones into bread after fasting. And he says, it is said, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone. We fast because we are seeking God. Third, we fast to seek and submit to God's will. We come and say, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to do it. I want to find out your will. I want to ask the Lord to show me his will. There have been multiple times in the history of the church and the history of the Bible when they have set aside fasting days to seek the will of what God would have for them. Some of you in your personal life have done that, that there's a large decision on the horizon and you've fasted for that. I remember specifically when we were preparing for our call to this place, when God had put that thought in our mind and we were seeking that out and we met with the search committee and we were talking through and we were analyzing our lives there at Ripley. I remember setting aside a day specifically to pray, to fast, to make a decision about what God had called us to do. We're seeking the Lord's will. And then this is a crazy one, the last one. But it's in Matthew, and Jesus says it. We fast to anticipate the return of God's Son. From what I can tell from Scripture, fasting like evangelism will not be present in heaven. Because when we're in heaven with the Son, when we're in heaven with our God, we will feast. Matthew 9, 14, the disciples of John came to Jesus and say, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't? And Jesus said to them, The wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? No, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away, and then they will fast. What he says is, there's some time when I'm going to leave, and when I leave, my followers are going to fast because they're going to look forward to the time when Jesus is coming back. And make no mistake, Jesus is is coming back. He's not here now. He in a physical form. He has sent his spirit to live within us, but he is coming back in a physical form. He is going to take us to be with him. A couple of Wednesday nights ago, we went through the entire book of Revelation on a Wednesday night, and I told him in the end, there are some important things when you talk about theories, and I put graphs on the board, and I talk through timelines, and you can make yourself confused with all of that. But the point of Revelation is this, take heart, he's coming again. And when he does, it will be victorious for his people. And until that moment, we take moments to anticipate. The Lord's Supper that we celebrate on Christmas Eve was an anticipation of the coming of the Lord. Fasting is an anticipation of the coming of the Lord when we will be filled in every way imaginable. Our sin will be wiped away and we shall be full of the goodness of God. So how do you do that? How do you fast? I got another letter thing for you. First of all, you focus on God. Based on what is taught in Matthew 6, we don't fast so other people think we're spiritual. We don't flaunt it. We don't go out and go, hey, would you like to go to lunch? Oh, I'm sorry, I can't eat. I'm fasting. We don't make people feel bad about their spiritual life. Well, I, I just may be at a higher level than you are because I'm fasting today. Like, that's not the point. Now, that doesn't mean we hide it necessarily. It doesn't mean you have to say, you don't have to be oversensitive about that kind of stuff. You're right. You just kind of, it's there. You, you, if, if you're out to lunch with somebody, you're not eating. And somebody says, what, are you fast or something? Yeah, I'm something like that. You're not boastful about it. 
But we do it not to impress other people. We do it to honor God. We do it not to lose weight. We do it to honor God. There's intermittent fasting stuff is all the rage out there now. You don't do it because you think, man, I get on a weight loss plan. Now, that may be a result of it, but we're talking about biblical fasting. It is a biblical idea to focus on God. And then fasting in Scripture is abstaining from food. That's the A. Abstain from food. In our society, we like to talk about other things, and I'm not saying there aren't other things. In fact, some of you medically may not be able to. For a long time in my life, because of the way that I took insulin, I couldn't fast. And there's still days that I may fast or I may take a, I may fast from a meal or fast from that, and I have to eat because blood sugar gets low. Like, I understand that those are real things. But for most of us, we don't fast from food because one of the hardest things to fast from is food. You know why? Because we're addicted to food. A God-given addiction. Like if you don't eat, guess what happens? Eventually you die if you don't eat. And so God has instilled this in us, this need, and when we stop it, our body reacts. And in those moments, what we do with it is important. The S is substitute eating with prayer and study. In those moments when those hunger pains come, you pray You read God's word. And here's the thing. If you decide you're going to fast for a meal or you're going to fast for a day, here's what I'm going to tell you. Because of your body and because of the way your mind works, if you decide, hey, this week I'm going to give up lunch one day, your body will make you think that day that you have, that that lunch is the most important thing you have ever had in your life. Like you will never crave a lunch like you did that day. People are going to come into the office with the best smelling stuff you've ever seen. They're going to come in talking about what they ate. They're going to sit around talking about their holiday feast. And you're just going to every moment. It's like, well, just around noon, I'll probably miss it. No, you'll miss it at 9, 11, 1, 3, right? Whatever it is. And in those moments, you turn your attention to the Lord. Again, that's not something you do for public. You don't say, excuse me for a minute while I go in here and study and pray while you eat. Like, you just do it. It's just a natural part of what you do. And here's the last one, and then we're done. Taste and see that God is good. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The end of the decade is upon us. And for some of us in the room, that just means it's another day. For some of us, you get sentimental about that stuff, nostalgic about that stuff, and you think about it a lot. For some of you, you think it is a chance for a new beginning. And here's what I'm just going to encourage you to do. To begin something that is measurable and sustainable in your life with prayer and fasting. Maybe that is this week you're going to say, hey, to start the year off, I'm going to take a day. and I'm not going to fast for the whole day because that's, that's not impractical for me. But I'm going to fast from lunch or from breakfast. And not just, hey, I'm going to skip it today. Like intentionally I'm going to fast from it and I'm going to spend that time in prayer and study. Maybe for prayer life, what's that next step forward for you? If you're somebody that hasn't been praying, hey, I'm just going to spend five minutes. I'm going to set aside five minutes at this point in my day, at lunchtime or first thing in the morning or late at night, whatever works best for you. If you're an early morning person, don't make it late night. Like Do whatever's best for your schedule. And then I'm just going to do that consistently day after day.
And just let the Lord begin to work in your life as you daily call upon His grace and announce your need for Him. Let's pray together.